what was the first accomplishment in your that you recognized uh, when you started working and what was your first misstep or failure you know the first experience i had is actually an unnerving experience i had but i learned a lot out of that it changed my personality a lot of that event yeah i think i have i have a similar story to the one that you just said talk about becoming overall mentally aggressive what are some of the significant challenges that uh, you had with the growth of your career uh, you know while i have spent uh, spent close to 27 years in my current job 98% of 99% of the non bank in finance companies died and so i have been in a crisis situation managing to survive i always think of myself as a beginner so today i think the allure of working for an exciting startup is taking over the industry over working for an established organization like i love the 2 by 2 matrix right yeah. early life stage company later life stage company early life stage employee late stage yeah. later stage employee right i'm going to take you back to your uh, recent linkedin post if you are ambitious you also pile up your own tasks right sometimes yeah. it is okay to tell your boss that i am not able to do do you think expertise in a specific field leads to superior performance if i have a choice between selecting skill and talent i will choose talent so for you as a manager what how do you become proactive to prevent quiet quitting there is an interesting fact i want to tell you i i have not handled a resignation letter in my life oh wow the basic engagement required is that person should come and tell you the reasons of dissatisfaction unhappiness i think there's a certain role that psychological safety plays as a company what goes into the thought process of saying we at the right place for us to venture into this new business domain i want to add to that question what is the next big shift you see happening in the banking industry some level of paranoia right that generally larger the organization larger the turning radius of the shift. in the new era you cannot sit tight and say that changes will not affect me you can compete you can collaborate you can co-create Hi everyone. Season 2 of the EITF project is here. Whew. We had a lot of interviews in season 1 and we're starting season 2 off with a bang. Our first guest is Kavias Manian. A lot of you may know him already, so he probably needs no introduction, but we'll introduce him anyway. Where do we start? Kavias Manian started out with a bachelor's degree in engineering. He then got a postgraduate degree in financial management. before embarking on an illustrious 30 plus years in the banking industry in India he has a wide variety of experience in the banking industry his experience involves investment corporate wholesale and consumer banking he has experience in financial management and accounting he has experience in operations and control as well and he's currently the whole time director and member of the management council at Kotak Mahindra Bank he's worked at Kotak Mahindra Bank for nearly 28 years now and has been part of building the company from ground up to the institution that it is today manian has donned many different roles in the organization in Kotak and each time he has donned a new role he has made it his own All right so let's talk about what you can expect from this interview Manian is a very engaging speaker and we cover a lot of topics we talk about business building we talk about people and organization management psychological safety and a lot more you will find that his answers are very well thought through it's very interesting that he spent about 28 years in an organization donning different roles is an expert in his field but is still learning every day and as he says in his interview that although he has worn a management hat for many departments he is still not the resident expert in all the fields he learns from his peers every day uh, a lot of us who are from the industry today end up having a similar background we end up doing engineering and we end up doing financial management or a degree in management like mba but one thing that we all have in common is the fear of an uncertain industry we cover this topic as well with manian and he has some great insights on how to overcome this fear we hope you enjoyed this interview as much as we had fun in creating this for you and this was amazing and massive for us
Welcome guys to season two of the EITF project. I'm super happy to be here again. Season one, we had amazing responses and I'm so glad to uh, take this forward into the next season. Our first participant for the EITF project on season two is someone that's very close to my heart. Um, this is uh, Mr. KVS Manian. He Hi. is from Kotec Mahindra Bank. And um, I've heard about him so much ever since, you know, I was a little girl growing up. He and my dad have worked together for a long time. And I've heard so much about the way he works and um, how much my dad learned from, uh, from the way he works. So I'm really glad to have him on the show. And I think you, you guys are going to learn so much from him. I'm glad to be here too, Nandini, uh, Karthik. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. So I'm going to dive right into the first question. On season one of the EITF project, our first question was, what was your first job and what you learned from it? We've changed things up a little bit for season two. Um, so my first question here is going to be, what was the first accomplishment in your that you recognized uh, when you started working? And what was your first misstep or failure that you recognized in your career? And what, what was the thing that you learned from both of those experiences? You know, the first experience I had is actually an unnerving experience I had, but I learned a lot out of that. Um, so I was probably a month into, uh, I was a management trainee in a, a company and I had a super, super aggressive boss. Uh, it was one month into the job and my uh, boss gave me a, a job to go and get a bank guarantee from a bank. And the, the company I was in wasn't in that great a shape. It was a Tata company, but not doing uh, so well. And bankers always had some, you know, uh, angst at all times. And I landed up at the bank, not knowing exactly the full contours of why this guarantee was important and why it wasn't. And uh, I land up here and uh, the bank manager just shoot me off. Panic stricken, I call my boss and he just tells me one sentence. Uh, he said it in Hindi, but let me say it in English here. He said, you either get the guarantee or don't come to office tomorrow. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> and, and then I, I had to scamper and figure out. Then I went and figured out some youngster in that bank. It was a PSU bank, but there was a young uh, probationary officer in that bank. I caught, caught hold of him. Finally, I, I managed it. And there is a lot of story behind how I got it, but I'll keep it short. I got the guarantee next day, landed at office. Uh, and my boss said, now, now you have arrived, <laughs> you are in the right? Uh, of course, I didn't know my boss that time. This was his way of pushing me. Uh, he may not have actually meant what he said, but that day I actually thought he meant what he said on the call, phone call. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so that was my first uh, small success, right? So I, uh, it built self-belief in me, actually. Actually, I don't know whether my boss actually thought I will land up with the guarantee. He was probably using me as a front runner to go and prepare the ground there and then send some senior person to get, get it. Uh, but the fact that I got it actually built self-belief in me and believe uh, of my boss in me, right? And he was a super aggressive boss and he wanted everything done tomorrow. He wanted everything done in a way I learned a lot from him. I used to be a very timid person. Of course, not, I'm, I'm reasonably aggressive mentally. Just later in my career, I learned to be aggressive mentally, of course. But he, th he taught me that. And that was a great learning. It changed my personality a lot of that event. And fortunately, actually, I was thinking about whether... Was there a big failure moment uh, for me and which I can remember like this? Fortunately, touch wood, there haven't been major uh, uh, failure moments for me. Or even if there have been tough moments, I have always bounced back and come back well enough. Yeah, I think I have I have a similar story to the one that you just said. Is like, you know, when I first joined, I did my first demo to, to a customer. And the, we were demoing a new product and I had gone in, I had no knowledge of what that product was supposed to do. So, you know, I, the demo went really bad. And right after, you know, my, my first, uh, my boss 
she was she was very kind i feel like in retrospect she told me you better learn so i felt like there was a uh, there was a finality in that sentence you know i took i took a week i learned and i present presented back to her you know the, on the same topic but one thing i took away from that meeting and that failure for me at least was i definitely prepare for all my meetings going forward yeah. in this career that you have had and you talk about becoming overall mentally aggressive and having an aggressive approach what are some of the significant challenges that uh, you have had with the growth of your career the challenges of course are different in different situations uh, uh, fortunately for me uh, you know while i have spent, clo- uh, spent close to 27 years in my current job and i had of course two jobs before this but uh, you know even in the 27 years i have spent in kotak i have changed several jobs because i have played several roles and each very different from each other and every role the challenges were different and one of the things i always tell my uh, you know people who come to me for advice or you know many people as your roles change and challenges change you have to think afresh and not try to do the same things that worked for you in your earlier role because everything you do is suitable for a context and in a particular situation right if you try to repeat just because you were successful earlier in a particular situation doing a certain thing doesn't mean doing the same thing in a different situation will make you successful so every situation requires its separate response and many people the mistake they do is that they try to replicate if they were successful in the past they try to repeat those actions those kind of things in their newer roles and yeah. and then they wonder why they did not succeed uh, it succeeded yeah. earlier right but why it is not yeah. succeeding so i would say i never look at uh, you know every job every role has different challenges and every you know i have managed startup kind of situations i have managed crisis situations so startup is where uh, nandini's dad worked with me right we set up the bank and nandini's dad was part of uh, that so i set up from scratch the uh, banking business so that was a startup but before that in uh, you know there were times when we were a non banking finance company and almost 98% of 99% of the non banking finance companies died and so i have been in a crisis situation managing to survive so every uh, kind of role every situation has different challenges survival was a different challenge challenge setting up was a different challenge i have been on maintenance mode as well uh, there have been businesses where i have not had i have to sustain and grow right yeah. so each of these situations is very different startup is a different situation sustain and grow is different situation and crisis uh, is a different situation yeah. small business is a different situation large scale oriented businesses is a separate situation knowledge oriented investment bank is a separate every situation is different so challenges change with every role and i would say i have had challenges to face in each they are innumerable to count but my my approach to challenges is to think through and make sure that your response is appropriate and not something that you are always used to so i always think of myself as a beginner for me i am in a new job i am a beginner right so i don't think of how i solve the last problem right this problem needs a solution today i am a beginner in this problem how do i cope with this situation that's the way i look at challenges and the responses to that you talk about different situations right so when you grow or when you assume different roles is that expectation going to be laid out in front of you or does that come from within through experience of you trying to understand the environment in terms of oh okay this is what is expected out of me or that is what is expected out of me and this is how i need to do fortunately for me in most of the jobs the way i think about it is i may not i have not been the, the entrepreneur but i like to think like an entrepreneur as if it is my business if i owned it 100% what would i do i would obviously look at so the expectation obviously there is environment outside in expectations expectations from inside employees have an expectation your all stakeholders have some expectations so obviously the uh, the expectation levels of various stakeholders change depending on the uh, situation that you are in if you are an entrepreneur you always have some stakeholders and your expectations have to be influenced by what the stakeholder expectations are every situation you have to assess the stakeholder expectations and form a set of expectations which you will try to meet i think what i took away from your answer is that the customer is paramount right no matter 
you know, whoever the customer is, whether it's someone that you're working with to deliver something or someone from external, whoever you're working for is very important. I think part of your answer leads me into my next question. Uh, one thing that you mentioned is that you had experience working for a startup versus working for a larger organization. So today, I think the allure of working for an exciting startup is taking over the industry, over working for an established organization. Last season, one of our experts also mentioned, Mahesh mentioned that Working for a startup, one year in a startup equals four years of experience in general. So what what do you think are the different learnings that people can take away from working in a startup versus working in a big organization? And what yeah. should they concentrate on to begin with? This is a very, very layered kind of a question, right? Uh, yeah. You know, uh, first of all, you know, a startup versus a large organization is finally, if you look at it, a life stage of the company, right? Yeah. Every company is a startup at some point in time and gets to be a large company if it is successful, right? So it's yeah. not about, it's the same entity which is a startup sometime and, but its characteristics yeah. change over a period of time, obviously, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And similarly, for a, a professional, you are a beginner at some point in time and it's a life stage question of you become an expert and, and a manager and a senior manager or whatever at a later time. So these are life stage situations, both from the employee perspective and from the organization's perspective. Like I love the two by two matrix, right? Yeah. Early life stage company, later life stage company, early life stage employee, late stage, yeah. later stage employee, right? In a large company, there can be situations where small businesses are being set up. Like I said, I have, I have set up yeah a business in a large organization. So what was I looking for? I was looking for a startup. Innately, a startup was a great idea for me. Did I get that opportunity in the large organization? I got it. So therefore, it, it did not matter to me. Similarly, there are people who may not get that opportunity in a large organization or may not perceive or may not, that organization may not give it. So some of them looking for a startup kind of an experience is, of course, I can uh, understand and therefore, People should look for that experience, you know, but all experiences, you, you know, if you have a learning mindset, every experience teaches you something. So it is not that working in large companies doesn't teach you something. It does teach you something. I have heard a lot of startup promoters who say that we are all startup promoters. We need some same table uh, people who think calmly, uh, who have experience. We need some mentors doing that. Many yeah. startup promoters look for mentors, right? So, yeah. and those mentors come from where? They are coming from not the startup. They are coming from the uh, companies yeah. with uh, the bigger companies. So I think, you know, all these skills are again situational. Uh, it uh, Each has value. It depends on everybody's personality as some people like. So some people like sustain and grow roles, right? So they are good at it. They... Uh, they are the guys who are very good at process, managing processes. They are very good at managing uh, productivity. They are good at, uh, they, they may not be innovative, but they are good at doing all this. They will, they are better at Kaizen, uh, yeah. incremental improvements. Those are good sustain and grow managers. They don't like startups, right? They, they want the big company. So I think you have to understand your, where your strengths lie, right? As an individual. So if you are that kind of a mindset, it's not, uh, there's nothing wrong or right about it, good or bad about it. It is different skills, different people have. But on the flip side, you know, when people into startups, people usually have at the back of their mind that, hey, it's an early stage company. I don't know if they're going to make it. Whereas the comfort of working in a big organization, it, it, it's tried and tested, it's proven. So I know they won't run out of businesses, right? Right. So how do you overcome that fear? Yes. Okay. My characteristic overall is I need to be out there innovating stuff, but I, at the back of my mind, I also want to have job security because maybe I'm the primary breadwinner of my family. Right. So again, risk taking is one of the characteristics, right? Uh, ah, yeah. Of the person, right? So uh, it, there are some people who are willing to take that risk. Some people who are not, some people are not in a position to take that risk. For example, if I think back 50 years back, uh, not 50 years back, uh, say 40 years back, I wouldn't have taken the risk because I came from a very, very uh, middle class family and I had to earn myself. I did not have my father's uh, support for even a month, 
Right? He uh, he had given me education, and that's it. End of story. I mean, after that, I have to figure out if I was in that situation today, I may not want to take that risk. Right? So, risk taking is situational. Risk taking is, of course, in uh, 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 mental makeup of every person. So, if you are not a risk taker, obviously, you should be, uh, but competent and not. Uh, your risk appetite is not that high. You should be working for the large firms. And yeah. uh, if your risk appetite is high or you have backup, yeah. um, you can afford to experiment the way I look at it from my generation to next generation, the way my near family is. The next generation can take far higher risks than we took, right? Because they yeah. have the, at least they have some support of the parents. They know uh, there is some, at least fallback. And if yeah. you have fallback, you may be able to take much more risks, uh, which is fine. Risk-taking as a characteristic of the person, which can be situational, mental framework, whatever, uh, is important in making that decision. If you want the safety, don't make the mistake of going and joining the startup. You should be very clear. If you're joining the startup, it is a riskier game. The returns can be great, but yeah. it could work the other way. It could go the other way. It can go the other way. To add a different flavor to it or to play a little bit of a devil's advocate here, I'd say uh, there's risk involved in both startups and in bigger organizations. Looking at the way the market is going, at least in the U.S. with respect to recession and the layoffs that are happening, I feel like larger organizations can afford to lay off more people. And like, you know, smaller organization will will at least from my point of view, will keep everybody they can. I think it can go both ways. Uh, recession can hit a smaller organization. It can be catastrophic there uh, for a bigger organization. You know, they may not, as an employee looking at, looking at that specific perspective, um, bigger organizations can, you know, let go of people. So I, I feel like risk also, uh, I yeah. don't even think your decision should be based on, uh, uh, yeah. you know, things like this because, you know, yeah. like you said, uh, it can go both ways in both organizations. Yeah. There can be layoffs yeah. in large organizations. There can be shutdowns in the uh, yeah. uh, smaller organizations, right? They can just go bankrupt or no private equity money flow, yeah. therefore just close down. So all is possible. So I don't think that is the uh, basis of making that decision. I think one, yes, when you take lower risk, of course, upsides will be lower. So in a yeah. large organization, while you are taking the downside risk is protected normally, uh, yeah. of course, layoffs and all can happen. But I'm saying in normal circumstances, after extreme circumstances, anything can happen. But in normal circumstances, the yeah. downside is low, so is upside low because yeah. the risk is low. In a startup, the upside is high, so is the downside high. But yeah. if you are temperamentally suited for it, Go for it. My, my generation, at least, I thought I thought I love what I do. Yeah. Right. I yeah. love what I do, but I have grown to love what I do. But yeah. that your generation has the advantage of doing what you love. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Right. So I think it's a great privilege. Privilege. Yeah. I wish I had that privilege uh, forty years back. It's a yeah. great privilege to have, and you must use it. But if you are willing to take some risk. Please choose what you love to do and excel in it. I think that, and you know, the number of options and number of uh, uh, career options, uh, um, uh, the uh, variety and uh, all that, that increasingly is uh, the newer generation is getting is phenomenal, right? Enjoy what you do. If you love, uh, if you do what you love, you'll do well, whether in a startup yeah. or in a large organization. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't think fear of, of how the organization is performing should should hinder you. Um, but I also think it's important to keep an eye on how the organization is performing. Of course, uh, of, course. Yeah. of course. I'm going to take you back to your uh, recent LinkedIn post, okay? Because we are on the topic of, okay, how do we risk of that? And you talk about the main aspect of prioritization in terms of what not to do, focus on that rather than what you do. So what goes into that mindset overall? Yeah, like as an, as an employee, when you have a bunch of things to do, like, you know, I know I face the task of multitasking every day. So how do you prioritize? Like you, you said, you know, it's important to figure out what not to do, right? Yeah. So 
how do you decide what not to do and what you should do? No, so uh, coming back to the basics of that, of course, you know, uh, most of us are multitasking at all times and there is a lot of tasks at hand always, right? Yeah. Uh, but all of us know everything like the ABC principle or the Pareto's principle, all of us know, right? And there is huge body of evidence there that there is 2080 that operates, whether in any, any, in any aspect, 2080 operates, right? Pareto's operates, Pareto's principle operates. And ABC operates. There are A-class items, B-class items, and C-class items. So, you know, what happens is to be effective as a manager, you know, of course, everybody wants to do everything. You want to do all the tasks. But we all know if you are ambitious, you also pile up your own tasks, right? Because you also want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this. Yeah. But there is only 24 hours in a day and there is only X amount of work. You know, some years back, about 10 years back, I, I stopped watching TV. I had a call to make. Around 10, 12 years back, I became extremely health conscious and I, I used to smoke a lot. I had given up smoking. I, I decided to give up smoking. I gave up smoking and then I wanted to concentrate on health, my health. And it was not that I was suffering from anything, but I had become conscious that from now onwards, health is important. Right. So I decided that I must spend some time on health and I started running. If you run, okay. you land up spending one, one and a half hours uh, running. Uh, even if you run three, four days a, a week, you are running one and a half hours, uh, one and a half hours in a day. If you have to run one and a half hours in a day, when would I do it? I will do it in the morning. I have to get up at 530 in the morning. If I have to get up at 530 in the morning, I'm not going to run without sleeping well enough. So I, I sleep at 10. So 10, 10, 30. So if I do that, I can come back from office at 6.30. Not, not going to happen. Not happening. So I will come back at 8, 8 o'clock. So I have two hours and I have that two hours with family. Yeah. Now I have to prioritize, right? Do I, in that two hours in the evening, I watch TV or I spend time with my family or do I give up running in the morning? It's very clear what not to do in this. Yeah. I had yeah. to not do something. Yeah. I could not have done all this. So I made a call that it's okay. Not I will not watch TV. Why? Now you can say, how did you choose of these four? That's a personal prioritization, right? You know, any prioritization has, you can list one to 10 and knock off yeah. the last two. Nine and 10 have to go. In my mind, it was very clear. Watching those news channels was not adding value. I could have read the paper in the morning. Yeah. So that's an example at my personal level. And I think you have to give up something to be effective in others. Similarly at work, I think there are always tasks. You have to just see what is the highest impact. In your mind, there has to be a sequencing of what is the highest priority item, your highest impact item, your impact. And impact you can define whichever way, impact on profits, impact yeah. on people, impact on whatever, impact for your growth, impact on personal growth, my next promotion, what has the highest impact, whichever way you define, yeah. right? There is always a highest impact item and the lowest impact item. You have to be absolutely surgical and honest about rating your work at hand on highest impact to lowest impact. It's okay to say sorry to the ninth and 10th. Sometimes it is okay to tell your boss that I am not able to do this. As long as you are clear that you are producing something solid on the high impact item, you have to just be careful about what you choose as high impact items and do them. And that is why I say, in a way, this is a two sides of the same coining. What you do and what you don't do are just, the, it is the same thing, right? It is just the two ends of the same spectrum. So, and I feel it is very, very important. I think people who do not prioritize get lost in terms of they land up doing the wrong thing because they haven't thought through, sit back, sat back and thought through what are the high impact items. It requires thinking. But you can't just Keep running with all tasks at hand. You uh, land up not delivering the highest impact items because if you are doing the low impact item, something is coming off the high impact item time, right? My, I am always very, very, I have a long to-do list always. I always have a very long to-do list. I, I used to write down to-do list. I still use my uh, a notes application to write to-do lists whenever I can. But increasingly, to-do lists can be wrong, ambi long. Ambitions have to be high, right? You yeah. want to do a lot of things. But yeah. you have to make a recognition that you can only do certain things and you have to just choose them to be the most high-impact item. I can relate to you in one thing that you said, where you said you still keep a to-do list. I have a, I have a notebook. I've gone through 
seven of them now. So I keep a to-do list every day in the morning of what to do. And I have a separate column in every page for questions to ask my boss. And I've been doing, I've been doing this for the past uh, six years that I've been in my career. One thing I tell in jest to some, uh, some, of, some of the people that uh, I work with, you know, you can have a to-do list, but be clear on which of those items you can just say sorry and get away with it. Yeah. Taking your personal analogy, right? And I have had this in my career. Say you keep, keep doing the same running. You become an expert in running. Okay. And say that one fine day you wake up in Bombay and it's raining and flooding and you no longer can run, right? And you're now forced to come out of your comfort zone, which is running. And you're forced to do, say, a gym workout at home or a yoga at home. In that case, are you going to be T-shaped in saying, okay, it still falls under the realm. It's fine. No harm in learning something new and learn it and do it. Or are you going to be like, hey, no, I know one thing great and I'll prioritize that. Because this is out of my comfort zone, I'm not going to do No, so in fact, uh, the, uh, it's a fantastic question. You know? I'll tell you one thing that I told you that I changed several jobs, right? Within, the, within my firm, I kept doing different jobs. They were as different, chalk and cheese difference between investment bank, retail bank, wholesale bank. These are very, very different businesses. They are just not the same. I mean, you don't run them in the same way at all. For example, retail bank is a business of armies, process, stuff like that, right? Investment bank is high finance, very few people, very small teams, but extremely high, uh, high, uh, high achievement oriented people, very uh, small teams, but uh, prima donnas in their own way, uh, very difficult, uh, very, uh, they have very strong knowledge of their specific areas. So, uh, I mean, he will always know more than you in his yeah. uh, zone. They are different people to manage. You know, wholesale banking is different. It is, again, lesser number, but not as high finance as uh, uh, maybe innocent bank. It is, but it is much lesser people, high impact uh, decisions. Each, each transaction is large. You have to manage. Deal making has to be done. Retail bank requires none. Uh, in wholesale bank, you are out there outside meeting customers. In retail bank, you are in the office running an army. So they are yeah. very different jobs. So one of the things that I find of great value is you see, of course, again, it is a temperament. You one, you can be a versatile person who's able to make these switches. If you are making these switches, it is assumed you, you have to come out of your comfort zone. If I manage something in this business to move to some other business, I have to get out of my comfort zone because I don't, I haven't done this. There are many business, uh, five or six businesses I have done in my life, which I had, I knew nothing about when I took them up. Yeah. Okay. So, so I, I innately, I am a person who likes to come out of comfort zones and do, but, but it depends on you want to be a specialist or you want to be a generalist. I have seen my role as a general manager. I see no difference in running a wholesale bank, retail bank. I'm not doing the same thing. I, I know I can identify the right levers to pull right triggers for each business. I will be able to think through that and run that business differently. Right. But I see myself as a general generalist, general manager. Yeah. I have not seen myself as a specialist, but if you saw yourself as a specialist, if you are a specialist in one area, you don't want to move out of that area. So that may not come out of a comfort zone, but it is a choice you have made. Right. So it's not that specialists have comfort zones. Within that area, there will be again comfort zone uh, coming yeah. out of comfort zone, right? So the way I look at it is if you're a specialist, you may choose to remain in one place, yet you can, you need not remain in your comfort zones. At the same time, if you, if you are a generalist, by moving from one job to another job to another role, to a, a role you have to keep coming out of your uh, comfort zones. But in general, my advice to anybody who uh, you know at least youngsters who are starting their career be open to coming out of comfort zones because if you do not experiment enough early in your career you may take time to recognize your calling yeah. where your calling is and that calling cannot happen if you do not experiment come out of your comfort zone and experiment in the initial stages of your career do four or five things 
you will realize that okay out of these four five things i have done i loved this third one the best and then you can you know pursue your career uh, uh, further on that yeah great answer actually i i do want to mention that this question was um, was from our first nominee the first nominee was my dad he nominated you for this interview um he's been saying it ever since i said that i'm going to do something like this and he said you should interview uh mani and and he he said you should ask him about how he makes each role his own um because he has done so many different roles and he's excelled in everything it's kind <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um i'm going to shift paradigms a little bit and start talking about employees and the uh, space that they work in today let's talk about interviews to begin with right that's where an employee becomes an employee right what was one interview where you were the candidate uh, where you you know look back on it now and you think i could have done better and what was that interview experience like in terms of like you where you felt you could have done better and how does that shape the way that you do interviews today that that specific experience so i must tell you the worst interview i have done is uh, i am calcutta interview that i i did and um, after i i had cleared the written exam and then there was this uh, interview and there was one Uh, you know there are interviewers who are very aggressive in the interview uh, they yeah. they will put the candidate yeah. under a lot of pressure and that's their style so yeah. uh, there was a uh, there was a person like that on the interview panel and he initially tried to put pressure on you know some subjects he was an uh, operations research guy and he tried to ask me lot of questions and tried to corner me on that but on that i i was okay right i i knew my uh, uh, marbles there and i got through that and then he started putting pressure of the softer variety softer uh, softer aspects of it as to why questions like why would you be more suitable for uh, uh, i am calcutta and why should you why should we select you and things like that and those softer aspects i i had no clue how to answer them but i uh, the take away from that so the i didn't get through okay i i flung that interview uh, the take away for me from that interview was that you know uh, i think softer softer aspects matter a lot more uh, or matter as much as the harder aspects of so you may know your subject you may know you may be an expert you may be a, you may be confident about your subject but subject is only one of the factors in so i want a competent guy but a competent guy who knows his subject is only one part of a competence right competence is not limit, limited or all about knowledge of the subject from that interview the take away i had was i may be good at learning subjects scientifically i know what uh, but the softer aspects of uh, uh, the job influence that decision quite a lot and uh, you know every everybody looks at they may give the competent subject technical expertise whatever uh, whatever you call it it has x amount of weightage depending on the nature of the job but it has only x amount of weightage it is never 100% of the weightage right yeah. and that was the learning from that yeah i think the softer aspects of the interview also brings out the attitude of the candidate towards the job so i think yeah. it's important to evaluate that do you think expertise so this is for employees do you think expertise in a specific field leads to superior performance um because there there are differences in people who have you know who've been there for a long time um who have expertise expertise in a specific subject you know they have experience in that specific subject but there's new new talent coming out every day where you know people are just talented they want to explore new avenues of how to do things so do you think performance is strictly based on expertise or do you think there is a talent factor involved as well you know i often tell in my recruitment uh, uh, people who go to recruit if i have a choice between selecting skill and talent i will choose talent so you know uh, the way i look at it is if you are applying for a very technical role research uh, you know uh, uh, where expertise is probably having 80% of the weight if a person is if i am running a pharma company and the research r&d is a very important part of my business and i need a guy who is a brilliant guy but an obnoxious guy to deal with i will tolerate him right i will take him because for his skill yeah because yeah. skill is dramatically more valuable to me than the disruptions he will cause by his human skills 
right? Uh, technical skills are more valuable. But if I am recruiting for a generalist position or a largely not such a such a high technical ex expert position, human skills are as important as the technical skill. So yeah. I can't hire a guy just because he is technically good. Doesn't and human yeah. skills are very poor. He will do do more damage to the organization than he will actually contribute to it. So yeah. everything is contextual. So I am assuming that most jobs, eighty percent of the jobs, require some skill. Of course, they require some skill, but they require some what I call threshold levels of skill. Yeah. You don't need to be dramatically uh, deep knowledge. Is not necessary. Yeah. You have you need reasonable knowledge up to a threshold, which would help you to deliver on your job. But you must possess other skills. It is not enough to have only that skill. So I would say nature of the job matters a lot. And like the businesses I have run, most business, most businesses I would say can do with ninety percent of their people will be assessed for threshold skills expertise, but not great expertise. And and do you think education plays a role in that today? Like you know, there are candidates who believe that. you know uh, you need a masters and a phd and all of that before you enter the industry do you believe that you know education plays a role in terms of learning how to show your talent and learning how to express yourself in yeah. in a workplace so, so education can be looked at two or three ways one is i look at it as just as a passport you may say i know everything but if you come from a good a good Uh, institution and you have done a course and say that I know this, it has more value. There is competition, right? Yeah. And there will be a hundred applicants to any job. The person who receives hundred CVs has to make a choice what not to do. So what does he do? He puts a filter and says, yeah. "I want three people. Fine, I'll interview ten." And he will put some filters. And education is a filter he will put because yeah. you may be brilliant, but for him. to select a person who's brilliant but has not had the yeah. right track record on education is looking is like looking in a haystack for that brilliant guy so the yeah. way he will look at it is can i get a brilliant guy within the 10 that i interview with some reasonable logical filters education he will say okay i am going to interview only from top 10 colleges i will interview only people who are masters in this subject because this role requires that i will interview only from people who have done an mba in addition to this depending on the role you are applying to so i would say one way to look at education is it gives you a right passport and a seat at the table when you really require again second way to look at it is some threshold education is see many people are suppose you were from a very good college engineering college you already done and you have got into a good good job which gives you the learning on the job as long as you are learning education is about learning as long as you are learning whether in a formal format of a university or at the job as long as you are convinced that if you are adding skills to yourself which are valuable for the future it's okay after a threshold education the third thing uh, the way i look at it is many people change course mm -hmm. and for changing course on your career going back to school and acquiring something becomes important so that is the three ways i look value of education let's shift our focus to managers right and you i'm sure have been reading about quite quitting an organization so for you as a manager how would and you know that quite quitting is happening because you see your folks quitting at some point of time right you know that 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 prevalent what how do you become proactive to prevent quite quitting from creeping into the organization because quitting can become a wave can become a habit someone needs to open the flood gates and people just look at that flood gate and be like oh someone opened it for me i'm just going to go out of it so how do you as a manager the situation in a complex work environment there is an interesting fact i want to tell you i i have not handled a resignation letter in my life oh wow wow so I, i have never had a person reporting to me quit so first i think people quit companies as much as they quit managers it's very important from my point of view if somebody is working in my team the basic engagement required is that person should come and tell you the reasons of dissatisfaction unhappiness uh, whatever uh, um, Uh, he has and he sh you should get an opportunity to proactively do something about it 
right as a manager so one is of course having managers who are that kind is the yeah. way to avoid quite quitting right yeah. but having said that this is easier said than done it is not so you know uh, the way i look at it is finally again you have to do abc so there are always people who are you there are regrettable losses and not so regrettable uh, there is all losses are regrettable but not so regrettable and very regrettable right yeah. you have to just make up your mind that what is a very regrettable loss and make sure that those people you are fully engaged whatever forms of engagement you use right some uh, there are multiple ways monetary uh, uh, human engagement Uh, softer engagements uh, so you have to be very clear that there is a set of people you don't want to lose there are some worse comes to worse you're okay if you lose them right and prioritize again you cannot make it zero the attrition cannot be zero so you have to be just clear which 20% you will not do anything about or 10% you will not do anything about the and let them quit and i think other normal things like having a you know a good performance a uh, management system having the uh, right engagement tools making sure that you set a pace that doesn't allow quite quitters to hide right you cannot protect all of them try to protect the most critical ones is the way to react to that yeah you know one thing i took away from that answer that you just said or one thing that stuck with me is that you said you know employees quit uh, uh, managers as well right you know in when they quit the organization i think there's a certain role that psychological safety plays when an employee quits a manager right you mentioned that it's important for managers to keep in touch with their employees um and you mentioned that you expect your employees to come and tell you you know what they're satisfied about and what they're dissatisfied about so i think i think psychological safety at least in that sentence plays plays a big role right they should feel comfortable enough to come yes, and tell see, you expect is the wrong word uh, nandini yeah my expecting doesn't i have to create an environment whether they will come and yeah yeah it, a safety it, environment it, it is not about my expectation uh, i may expect but they will not come and do it right they will yeah. do it only if i set the right risk free environment for them to do it with me yeah and that is what yeah. the managers have to do yeah so like what other aspects of the organization do you see where psychological safety plays a big role in terms of shaping shaping the organization itself so i i i give you one one reason why people will expect uh, I, i mean people will come and share their concerns with me the reason they'll do it is if they think that whatever i am doing is in their interest so many managers hold talent right so if you are a talented person i can hold you in my team which stunts your growth but it may stunt your growth but if i allow you to be moved to another place which is more suitable for you and they have more opportunities for you i have to let you go primarily that is the reason that they will come and share it with you because they know that if there is, so if you if you know that there is another opening which you are excited about within the firm within the firm yeah. and you want to do it you must feel free to come and ask me manian can i go and apply for this role i am very excited about it and i must give you the right evaluation of it honest evaluation of it whether it is right for you not right for you if it is right for you i must encourage you to do it that yeah. is the reason you will come and talk to me right otherwise yeah. why would you talk to me you will look yeah. for a role outside yeah i think a manager who's invested in uh, their reportee's career as oh. much as they are in is is definitely more successful the first manager is remembered by everybody like I, we started this by my first manager story coincidentally right the first manager is a huge impact and so managers can make huge impact if they want to and if they uh, choose to on the people they manage i mean if, if, uh, those uh, those relationships can be lifelong relationships of hatred or love <laughs> so i mean speak, speaking of speaking of managers right um today the notion of calling your manager sir or ma'am is getting eradicated slowly right uh, you are working in an environment where you work with everybody and everyone is an equal managers work with their team rather than the team working for the manager so how do you maintain that titular position of a manager while also working with your team uh, so let me uh, start by saying that you know uh, you never demand respect 
you command respect. That that is the first principle. So I don't think it matters whether people are called sir, not called sir. Number one. Number two, respect is not a one-way thing. You know, there have been people in my team, especially after I moved to the wholesale side, there are people who know their job much better than I can do it. When I am the boss, doesn't mean I am the best guy at every job that reports into me, right? There are people whom I respect, who are subordinates of mine, whom I respect because they know more than me on their job. Their job, they know more than me. So respect is not about subordinate giving respect to boss. The bosses can respect subordinates as well, right? So I don't think respect is a one-way street. So therefore, the context in which you ask that question that about bosses being called sir, if you respect your subordinate, would you call him sir? Sir, respect is not about anymore. In the modern world, respect is not about just the hierarchy. So hierarchy people's perception of hierarchy can be multiple people's perception of hierarchy there are people who think of hierarchy as power hierarchy is power in in some ways it is always but there is primarily hierarchy power or hierarchy a means to enable functioning of an organization modern world managers have to just think of hierarchy as a means to enabling an organization rather than a power personally you know my kids are better at something than I am. You know, if, 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 if I have to write something, I don't think I am so good at writing. I mean, uh, uh, you know, my native language is not English. My native language is Hindi. I think in Hindi. English is not my native language. But my daughter, Shruti, she thinks in English. She can write dramatically better English than I can write. So if I have to get something to be written, Shruti is the person. Why should I? I think I am the best at it. I am not the best at it at home. So, so also in office. I think overall you come to the realization that we've moved away from hierarchy being power to where there is knowledge, there is power uh, eventually. Absolutely. That's a great way to put it, Karthik. Yeah. So you had a bank. So I'm curious to ask you this question, right? I'll give you an analogy as to why I want to ask you this question. So you run a company and you are great at doing a certain type of business. The industry is growing at a rapid pace. <laughs> what? And every day you see some new addition coming into the foray. As a company, what goes into the thought process of saying we at the right place for us to venture into this new business domain that the world seems to be getting themselves into? And I'll give you two examples, okay? Like the first example, I work in the data science AI space. Back in 2014, 15, the world was talking about big data, big data, big data. It was a jargon at that point of time. But eventually people came and the ones that caught on to that word eventually were like, okay, we now have our infrastructure in place, but the companies that didn't latch on to it now still are having problems in terms of how do I or deal with big data solutions. Right. The second uh, example I want to give is with Tesla. Tesla has been talking about electric cars in 2004 when their first designs got up and you had all your... and. The, Tesla at that point of time was a nobody, but you had your Toyotas of the world and Hondas of the world who knew how to make cars, who did not want to get into And eventually in hindsight, once they've seen Tesla make the market share, they now want to get into the electric vehicle space. So what goes into a CEO's mindset or C-suite's mindset when he or she is looking at the industry in terms of uh, obvious shift happening in terms of, hey, are we positioned in the right frame of uh, business for us to pour into these uh, new avenues? I want to add to that question. What is the next big shift you see happening in the banking industry? I mean, in general, with COVID, it changed the way that people work today. And, you know, obviously that affected every organization and banking as well. But Specific to banking, what 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 is the next big shift that you see coming in? So uh, answering Karthik's question first, as any C-suite exec- executive, one of the things that at least personally I value is some level of paranoia, right? That tomorrow, whether we will have our business or not, there's so much happening out there that some upstart can suddenly become powerful. Are we prepared for uh, facing that? So I think that level of paranoia is absolutely essential. I, I don't think uh, uh, times of... A complacent C-suit managers is gone, 
right? So that is one, number one. But more importantly, the way I look at it is that if there is industry, there are lots of changes going on. Suppose you run an organization and I, I think of organizations like ships. Generally, larger the organization, larger the turning radius of the ship. And that is by nature. So there are two things you can do. One is you can reduce the turning radius of a large organization by trying to make the organization more agile, flatter, those are the regular things that you have read in management books, right? But the second way many people have thought about and in situations that works is, okay, we can't turn this ship so fast, but can we launch 10 boats which will run faster than those smaller ones and at a point in time, get enough power to steer the ship? As an organization, I think it's important to do both. It's not either or. So you do things which will reduce the turning radius of the ship and you keep launching high-powered boats which are independently going faster than the ship in a direction where other competitors or you see smaller competitors, these boats are competing with them, right? So take it in uh, slices. So you run multiple boats like that, detach them from the big ship because big ship has the problem, right? If they sit inside the ship, they will not run faster. So detach them, take them out, allow them to drive faster, go, go and let them do what it takes to fight uh, the other boats in the sea. Right. So that's the way I look at it. I think you have to do both. In the new era, you cannot sit tight and say that changes will not affect me. Like what is talked talked about today may become reality five years later. You don't start. Let's say banking business in uh, Nandini, you are specifically banking business in India. At least the most of the leading banks, I would say, are reasonably nimble. And I don't think there is going to be a situation, at least I don't believe there is a situation where given the regulation, given the uh, status of technology absorption by uh, the overall system and the banks, I don't think banks are going to be in a situation where fintechs are going to run away with banks lunch. Uh, I think banks have learned to collaborate with uh, these fintechs. So, you know, you can engage with the, since you asked the specific banking question, I think there is a great opportunity for banks See, you can engage with fintechs in three ways. You can compete, you can collaborate, you can co-create. And I think the uh, most progressive banks have figured out that it is not necessary to compete. Even fintechs have figured out it's easy to do the technology bit. But when the fintech has to get customers, there is banking business has a lot to do with trust. It Many things require capital. There is distribution. They need distribution. There are many other facets to it. So I think there is very great scope for collaborate and co-create in, uh, in the fintech banking uh, access. And I think the progressive banks will learn to figure that out. So before we ask our last question, right, um, I want to pose this one, one question because you've been in the banking business for so long. What advice would you give young folks who are just starting out in their career for money management and investments? First of all, my advice to you will be keep it simple, right? I think too complex. Uh, many people try to do very complicated stuff to manage their money. And actually it doesn't work. Finally, there is evidence that complexity does not necessarily lead, lead to better returns. Keeping it in low-cost instruments like ETFs and simple instruments, which are easier to understand and easier to manage, I think it is the first thing that I would say. Number two, I would say that create a saving habit. Keep aside some money. Especially uh, we talked about, you know, startups and people can be, yeah. you can be suddenly uh, out of job. Uh, you can be yeah. a victim of a layoff. I think it is important to be, uh, you know, independent. And independence comes with some responsibility on the financial side. That's great advice. So um, our last question for the EITF project, um, and this has been a very, very scintillating conversation. You had me engaged throughout the whole thing. I just have loved it. I was listening to every single word you said. So uh, lastly, how would you define success? You know, uh, personally, I am not a, 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 you know, by virtue of having succeeded in uh, uh, my career, obviously I have made enough money, but I don't measure uh, success by uh, money. Some people may, some people in earlier part of their career may and later may not. All that, I have never valued uh, money. I have never, one of the criteria that I have used for success has never been money. I think to me, success has two, two important aspects. One is impact in whatever you do. Impact on organization, impact on people. How many careers have I built? How many 
people will remember me how many what legacy and second is legacy so impact currently and legacy in future i think these are the only two things that matter in measuring success you can make money it's okay uh, money is important uh, in modern uh, world you have to make enough money to live comfortably but for me success is measured by impact and legacy i think i think you know it's it's great that you say that because i think you're going to leave a very very high impact on our audience that listens to this interview and secondly i think you've already left a legacy with uh, someone who worked for you which was my dad and he transferred that over to me so uh, i think i think that's uh, i think you're very successful if that's how you define success so thank you sir uh, yeah so thank you so much for doing this interview with us it was a great uh, pleasure talking to both of you and uh, i wonderful conversation as a well. super inspiring i know it's 8 o'clock in the morning but i'm like okay ready to go let's go tackle the next big thing that's out there type type <laughs> type energy and you know i think in in general i've been wanting to do this for a long time so thank you so much and secondly i want to wish you a very happy birthday Thank you for oh, taking time you. out of your birthday. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> thank, you thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so right. much. Thank you so yeah. much. It was a yeah. pleasure talking to both of you.